and welcome to Food, Views, and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen, and this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward, whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen, or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture, and we want you to know who they are, their views, and their big ideas. We're coming to you today from Camaragal land, and we'd like to begin by paying our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Hello, I'm Tanya, and today Darren Gershbaugh joins us. Darren is a seasoned veteran in the food and beverage industry. He understands supply chain like nobody's business, primarily because he's lived in and through it for the past three decades. He was the first to deliver sourdough bread to homes and fine dining restaurants across Sydney in the early 90s. He's been on the forefront of wholesale distribution for premium Australian-made foods. One might consider Darren a disruptor, and it's true. He doesn't shy away from controversy. However, what he shares during this Raw and Real podcast is his personal story. The unintended consequences of the rise and fall of food businesses, managing single parenting, and looking to the future. This conversation does touch on emotional and mental health, so if anyone finds it distressing or disturbing, please reference the show notes. We'll put links in the show notes for support. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Darren. How are you? Tanya, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, um, it's wonderful to have you, Darren, in the studio today, and your career spans decades, and your entrepreneurial spirit shines bright, and um, how did it all start? <laughs> what, what, <laughs> how long do you have? Uh, yeah, well, you know, well, we can do a snapshot of that. Um, I think it all started, um, I was living overseas and come back to Australia in the early 90s, and uh, we were having the recession that we needed to have, and I um, thought, what what can I do here? And I started knocking on doors in an afternoon, uh, selling freshly squeezed juice to people's houses, and that's kind of how that was a precursor for everything that happened. Uh, one thing led to another. You know, people say, how do things happen? And as you and I well know, sitting around waiting for stuff to happen never happens. So you got to get off your butt and you got to get out there and make things happen and it's only by being proactive and putting myself in places positions shows trying ideas and meeting people that one thing leads to another before you know it sometimes you end up with a business on your hands well the common denominator there is food and beverage that is something you've always been very interested in yeah so that um, I think flavor was always something that fascinated me and I always enjoyed eating. Um, I suppose that's what lands a lot of people in the food industry, in the industry that we're in. And that's in the first world, that's such a delight to be able to share and talk and commune because it's such an important way of life. And we, we do it three times a day, mostly. And find, finding those little highlights inside of whatever it is that you're actually doing is the motivator for wanting to find more and as you know that's the thing that besides the people as well in the industry they're the things that get they really get the hooks into you well they do for me you know whatever that has been it's always been food and it's always been beverage as you you said 
and we started out with juice, home delivered, and then, you know, we grew into sourdough and we were a fine dining supplier for sourdough bakery. So let's back up a bit. When you talk about sourdough, what year are we talking? Yeah, th- so that was uh, that was the mid-90s that we started doing that. So um, we were operating up in the Blue Mountains and we were supplying fine dining like Level 41, Bathers, Brasserie Bread, uh, not Brasserie Bread, it become Brasserie Bread, but uh, Brasserie down uh, Bayswater, Bayswater Brasserie. God, I can't even remember. It's that long ago. Um, and I think Marion was probably the only other one uh, in that space at that time. You know, so this sort of predates uh, Sonoma, Brasserie Bread and all those guys, which came came around later. And why sourdough? Well, I had this thriving home delivery business and uh, just back to the point of how, how putting yourself out there uh, changes the way that you do and the opportunity that knocks on your door and you decide to take them or not. So we had this massive database in the inner west around Newtown, Balmain, Lilyfield, and we're delivering all of these wonderful products uh, to people's doors. And we added the sourdough and within about two weeks, we became the biggest customer that they had. And they're like, where is all this bread going? So they reached out and said, look, we don't know what you're doing. And I went, well, that's two of us. Um, they said, can you um, come and help us grow our business? So um, we packed up tools and moved to the Blue Mountains. And um, we got involved in this bread business and um, just started running around to shops and running around to restaurants. And um, that was sort of... Sydney hadn't quite exploded with the fine food thing at that point. So um, there were places that were just starting. So it was very exciting. Um, and that, 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 that just took off. So it was wonderful to be a part of to see that grow. So that's how we got involved in sourdough, just through uh, an offer, you know, just through, yes, can we do it? We think we can. Um, let's hop in a van. Let's hop in a car. Let's go out and see people and let's get the product out there. So I did everything sort of post-oven. Let's talk about the market. It sounds to me it was very much the premium market. You found a niche there. When we talk about that entrepreneurial spirit, you were really at the forefront of that in the in the early 90s. Yeah, that's right. Uh, look, we, we used to sit around and go, wow, you know, really what you need is to have a sourdough bakery uh, on every corner in every inner west suburb, you know, and now you see that. You see uh, bakeries everywhere and it's it, it's great to see that, you know, people are now happy to fork out, you know, 10, 10 bucks for a loaf of bread, whereas before it was like pulling teeth. And it, that's just that whole educational thing, you know, that people, you know, we had cooking shows, we've had all of those things which have changed the way that we think, the way we consume and the way we engage with food. That's when you connected with Michael Clausen, who's one of the best uh, bakers in, in the country, and he's a good friend of ours. And so did that relationship flourish into what became Brasserie Bread and then you went on to do other things or how did that work? Yeah. Um, yeah, Michael and I had a lot of common ground, me being in the mountains and him being uh, a European import. Um, we both had a, a like for the outdoors. So we were both climbers and we climbed in New Zealand together. So we had a lot of commonality and the finer things were the things that um, was really the core there. So um, that relationship continued uh, well beyond bread. But it was just lovely to make that connection, you know, and seeing the, uh, what is it, Boathouse, which is no longer there, sadly. That's gone with the advent of COVID. 
I think that's what's so fascinating about your story from a business and a personal perspective is that it has been very diverse and you've kind of navigated this space and done lots of different things within it. And we will get to where, where you are today, but you don't get to where you are today unless, you know, you've done what you've done in the past, you know? Yeah, you put some bricks down and you got to do a little bit of legwork, that's for sure. Yep. Uh, you know, it doesn't come easy. And back to that thing again, you know, people say, well, how did you get to where you are or how did you manage to do what you what you've done and it's the same back to that thing you know you just got to put yourself out there and being proactive and meeting people and just being able to see an opportunity you know and the thing that ties it all together is the fact that you when you do something and you meet people i like like yourself and like the likes of michael clausen and all of those other wonderful people in there you still talk to them when you see them, you know. They still pick up the phone and say, hey, what's going on? You know, we may not be doing trade in this sort of uh, sector of the market anymore, but, you know, you, you build allies um, and strong relationships through all of those things. And, you know, for me, that it's the stories that underpin and tie everything together where that's the magic for me, you know. Everyone always said, what what are you guys good at? And it's like, well, really, I just think we storytellers. Everyone likes to hear that story. Um, we were never super sharp salespeople. It was always about let's get the information, the right information, and imprint that onto the customer and let them know with clarity. And so, you know, just being transparent with what it was when we had our business engagements and we never really hit anything. Um, I know a lot of people think that's probably not the right way to engage, but I can't see, I can't see doing it any other way really. So. So manna from heaven, how did that play into your business strategy? Well, or again, was that an opportunity that came knocking and you just, you know, sliding doors moment, you just went for it. Yeah. It was a funny, you know, we were dropping off bread and I'd seen this product um, and I went, wow, that's really interesting. I hadn't seen anything quite like it. Um, and I was getting ready to get out of the baking game. We'd sort of, we'd sort of plateaued, we'd grown and plateaued and um, we couldn't get the growth then into other markets. And I thought, well, I need to look around for something else to do. And then I met Rachel. So I bought the distribution rights to her business, Manor from Heaven, which only had three products at the time. It was uh, an oat cake, a chocolate crunch, and a uh, shortbread. And I thought, okay, let's let's give that a crack. So then we looked at the cafe market, and we went to market, and we went, well, what else is out there? And again, another another great relationship, you know, with Rachel Grisewood, such a wonderful high flying chef with credentials out the wazoo. And boy, oh boy, uh, anything she put on a plate or in a tin, it was just unbelievable i thought people have to find out about this it's a real you know it's a real wonder so um i wanted to share that and so we did a lot of r d and we developed these little cakes called lemon polenta cakes and brownies and we'd take them out and see how they go and then it, it got people got so annoyed that we were just doing them as specials they're like they sell more than the three core products that you've got we're like okay well we better do something about that so then uh, Manor from Heaven became really um, a cake manufacturer at that point and these little small single-serve cakes which changed the way we consume big cake just went bonkers. We had, we had um, you know, a bunch of vans 
three or four times a week just out on the road delivering to cafes and it was just chock-a-block full of lemon planter cakes and raspberry brownies and chocolate crunch which was the signature thing but the cake business just took over so um again you know another wonderful opportunity to find more about food um, because when you meet these people, the, the conversation is always about food. So inside those conversations, there's a learning as well. Um, so we've always been very lucky that we've been able to talk and listen and, and learn. And through that, you know, we've been able to share that information with our customers, which in turn helped grow our business. And it just wasn't, to me, it didn't appear to be rocket science. It's like, this is really easy. And we went from a high perishable from baking to baking goods which were you know baked and delivered a couple of times a week so the process through my career just got starting in baking which is high consumables um it just seemed to get easier and easier and easier and the more the more we learned and the more we engaged well from there you set up gersh goods distributors in the blue mountains is that is that how the progression went yeah, so while I had Manor, um, we still had a whole bunch of <clears> – <throat> when I got out of the baking game, I thought, look, we, we were dropping off product all around town and I was just seeing, you know, olive oils and butters and all these types of things. And I thought, look, I grew up in the country farming area and I was like, I know all these people that produce this th- these things in Australia. There's got to be – there's got to be an avenue to support Australian manufacturers and Australian suppliers and farmers. And how do we do that? And I was standing in the shower, having a shower, Tonya, where all of my <laughs> ideas come from. Um, I went, well, bugger me. No one's doing it. We should do that. So while I had uh, growing manner from heaven, I was connecting with, uh, I was going to farmers markets. I was going out on the weekends and I was meeting people and just trying to put together a portfolio. Uh, well, it was actually just a, a gathering ideas and information. And I thought, well, why not? Let's just give it a crack. So we started getting these products in and we added them to our range. So then we had the cafes buying it. We had restaurants buying it. Delis were popping up all over the place. And at that stage, the Sydney market operates very differently to the other states where they're always driven by food lands and IGAs. Sydney had this um, real high-end food deli scene going on and, you know, it was just starting to take off and we, we were in all of them. So we're talking, I would suggest, what, 1998, 99? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And it was, that, it was really starting to, to hum along. We just kept adding products and adding products and we were, okay, manna from heaven, you know, we, 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 we're done. It's, it's getting too big. It's becoming too popular. We're happy living in the Blue Mountains. It's a great outdoors and we're all climbers and mountain bikers and it's like, why would we want to live back in Sydney? Let's find a way to stay living in the mountains. So the next stage of the business become about lifestyle. How do we do that and stay in the mountains? I was always intrigued that you had a Distribution companies servicing retail and food service, both sides based in the Blue Mountains. From from a warehouse distribution point of view, I and, and I get it now that you're saying it was a lifestyle choice, but from a business point of view, I'm thinking, is that practical? No, it was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no one in their right mind would do it. 
But there you go. People say, how did you get a business? And I said, well, stupid ideas sometimes get you so far down the pike that you end up with a business that a smart person wouldn't do. And that's what we had. And that's what we were dealing with. But it was certainly about lifestyle. Um, So we went, this manner from heaven business is, um, it's uh, dragging us down the hill. So I went, okay, let's um, get rid of that. So we sold it. And then while while we're doing that, we're, we, we got all these other shelf-stable goods of Aussie makers. We got them on board, and they were all happy to grow, and it was growing. Um, let's let's see if we can turn that into a business. So we've kind of got those those few supplies that we had in those days um, up to a break-even point, and we were, okay, let's get rid of manna from heaven, the high perishables, and we had some cheeses and stuff like that. So we off that and then just kept the other side of the business, kept the same database, and then just – plugged in more supplies and at that time it was very hard to find Australian manufacturers and suppliers that de- delivered a premium product you know um, we we spent a lot of time sitting on our hands waiting for those producers to come and grow we had opportunity to take on countless imported goods but um, that just wasn't our MO it's like no let's just um uh, support the Australian manufacturers uh, and grower. So it was difficult, but um, we managed to do it. And then, you know, hey-ho, presto, you get the likes of MasterChef coming out in the early 2000s. We had product on that. And then so we just experienced this uh, tsunami of growth again while sticking to sticking to our digs, you know, let's keep just supporting Australian manufacturers and Australian growers and suppliers. Was it a silly idea doing it from the mountains? Absolutely. But, you know, uh, this this whole thing was about maintaining a lifestyle, being able to live in the Blue Mountains, World Heritage listed area, um, get out in the outdoors, go climbing, go mountain biking, and then try try and make a living. You'd see if there was any, any, any crumbs left over at the end of the week, we'd eat. Well, that's, it sounds like a, a wonderful way to go about business, but it's not all rainbows and butterflies, you know. You've got you've got your staff, you've got your personal relationships. How do you get that metrics and grow a business at the same time? Well, staff staff is always a funny one, especially in the Blue Mountains. Um, so, uh, as you'd know, uh, there's a symbiotic relationship between the arts and food. So, you know, every person that worked for us was either. Uh, doing a master's degree in arts or they're a musician and traveling doing bands and doing all that type of stuff so we're we're also at the mercy of uh, of, of that um as well which can be problematic if you've got someone that's a driver and all of a sudden they're on a six-week tour it's like what do you do but anyway we we made it uh we made it happen we all work together cohesively um and the blue mountains is you know it it it, it, it thrives on arts and so there was always a lot of people around, probably not always the most reliable people, but that's just an age-old problem with hospitality, isn't it? So in terms of relationships and running businesses, I mean, speaking firsthand, you know, there's always compromises and there's there's a lot going on. But was yours yeah. a, a family business? Uh, yeah, so um, it was something I started by myself and then... Um, at a later stage, I did get married, and um, that person became part of the business as well. But um, 
that was a that was a great thing at the start, but um, as you know, that didn't that didn't survive. So it was kind of sixteen years down the track that just working together and living together, you know, people wanted to go off and do different things. <clears throat> so that 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 didn't work out at all. So I would never do that again. Um, so <laughs> um, working together and living together, I think you see that well. Um, over the years now, I've seen that that's a, that's a model that very, very rarely works. Certainly didn't work for me. So in, innovation, pushing, you know, you talk about you were one of the first distributors to take on a lot of artisanal products and mm. get them into the market. Um, you opened many doors for, for quite a few brands and staying true to supporting Australian producers. You do, like you said, you had the opportunity to, Im- to, to distribute imported products, but your main charter and mantra was to, to really support the Australian producers and get their butter and their, you know, condiments and oils and things in the hands of the retailers and also food service. Yeah, I think, um, I think you know, 20-odd years ago, that was to just go where prime our primary our mo is australian manufacturers and producers um everyone else was doing the imported stuff they everyone wanted italian olive oil everyone wanted you know lure pack they wanted everything that was european and it's like this is crazy you, you're paying you're paying top dollar for freight that's why i saw it. it was like you're paying for reefers and all these things don't get me wrong i didn't think that there was anything wrong with the products but it's like why aren't we doing it here um why aren't these people who i know who are farmers and producers why aren't they getting a look in so that that was the thing that just gave us the giddy up and go and now 25 years later go for a walk through uh, Maloney's or my fruitologists or QE stores or any of the supermarket IGAs, and you go Aussie, Aussie, Aussie um, products from lots of different distributors, and you can, you know, through the eyes of you and I, you can walk through a store and see who the suppliers are. You know, you go that's Foodies or that's Simon Johnson or that's one hundred percent, yeah. You know, like you can see who's been here, and everyone knows everyone, but. You know, uh, were, were we relative at the end? Um, we were still current, but were there other people doing it better? Well, you know, markets change, you know. And sometimes businesses do run their course. And they're, yeah. you know, yeah, and especially if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, sometimes you go, okay, I've been there, I've done that, and now it's time to do something different. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I tell you, when when um, our business did come to an end, it was really funny to see the people that, um, because when businesses end like it did, uh, it was tragic. Can we talk about that, please? Yeah. So, uh, you know, went through a divorce, uh, borrowed money to pay that out. Um, um, we were fostering children at the time, so I had to put, uh, after the divorce, I became the sole carer of the kids. I uh, had to put my business under management. Um, and while I was dealing with the department, trying to get custody and keep the kids and do all that stuff and work it out and be a, a sole parent, um, things went wrong. And I put in a new finance person after a couple of years. It really takes it, that really took a toll on me mentally and physically, um, just trying to. 
trying to do the right things. It was like, you know, we had supplies leaving us and it was a sinking ship. Um, and uh, I remember just getting some letters from people and just going, wow, you know, here I am talking about a food product when I'm getting letters from lawyers about two little kids. And it's like, what, what's the greater thing here? And it's certainly saving two young kids' lives um, become very apparent to me that it was way more important than the business. Not that I wanted the business to fail because it fed us. I'd done it for 20 years. I loved it. Um, I was invested in it. We put on a new um, finance person. She went through the place, the cleaners, and we withdrew money on the buildings that we owned. And um, we went to a thing called uh, debtor financing. And okay, and we set up it. We set that so that inside of all that, we set up another business in Sydney in a 3PL. Never got to see the light of day. So I just put in another, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars. And went, okay, let's get going. This is, she's like, we're going to have six months of fight here, but we can do this. And we're like, yep, let's get ready for it. And then, hey, what do you know? The business that we'd set up, which was a drink business, um, uh, was the commencement of the bushfires, South Coast, Blue Mountains, biggest area for us to be selling beverages in Sydney. And instead of, you know, invoicing out, you know, 150, 200 grand worth of goods a week, with the advent of the fires, we're invoicing out 25 grand a week. Um, and if you know what debtor financing is, after 12 weeks, it was uh, lights out. It happened that quickly. Um, the other business that we had, um, we had all the catalogues. I still got a box of them here. Uh, it never got to see the light of day. So all that, all that effort and all that time just went down the gurgler um, that quickly. So that, that was the 2020 bushfires. And then um, I know for a lot of, because we were retail specialists, that's what we became. We, we decided to move out of food service uh, through that transition as well. So we could just specialise on retail. Again, one of those things that um, we didn't want to be dragged down the hill for, where if a chef needed a product overnight, we would struggle to get it there. So it's like, let's not go into brand damage here. Let's just manage ourselves mindfully and carefully. And let's play to our strengths and play to the lifestyle that we want it to keep. So that's why we become retail. We went shelf stable, frozen, long life products. Um, we can ship them once, twice a week, once a month, whatever. And that's the way that we structured that business. So, sorry, when you say this is the way we structured it, so it was an evolution because you first started out servicing both, and yeah. then and then it evolved into knowing what's what works and what doesn't work and what makes sense. Yep. And then you honed it in and, pos and created a business model that, that would suit that purpose. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, we didn't want to go to Sydney, Tonya. We did not <laughs> go to Sydney. But There's irony in that, man. Setting up a distribution company, but we don't really want to service the largest populated area where yeah. all the retail stores are. It certainly made way more sense, way more sense. It would have been a completely different business. It would have been a juggernaut if we had have picked up stumps and moved to Sydney. But the reality of it was we just simply didn't want to do that. And that's not a smart – a smart business person would have done that. You know, people had offered to buy the business that wanted to do that. Um, and it just, you know, it provided a lifestyle. But, you know, then I was also trying to um, – 
manage this thing, which um, now I was managing remotely as a single parent. Um, and it was for, for us <clears throat> at that stage, it was like, okay, I got I just got to get this other business up and running. We've got to get everything stabilized again, and then we're going to sell it. And that will be, that'll be a house for the girls and I, and then we'll have this other little business that we'll start and, um, you know, we'll, we'll get along. We never got the house. Um, but you know, we got to keep the kids and, um, we're, we'll be in front of the high court, hopefully next year. And, uh, sorry, it's a bit of a, it's very emotional. Um, and that'll be just such a great result. So, you know, um, it's funny people that know me and in the industry and people that did lose money, unfortunately, inside that business. And it was never an intentional thing to do that. And some of the people that were owed the most amount of money were people that were worked with me for years. They were like, don't worry about the money, pack up the kids and come and come and live with us. Or, you know, um, it was the people that were owed a thousand dollars or $80 were the people that were really angry. Everyone else was like, man, you, you put us on the map. Like that, that the amount of money that you're that's owed, it's it's nothing. You know, that's a marketing budget, not even a marketing marketing budget for the year. So the relationships that we'd fostered and developed, and you know, I'm still I'm still travelling around the country with one of my old supplies, and he goes, you know, why people like you because you weren't a bastard on the way up. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's nice to know. You know, um, we still. You know, we still see these people. We still, I'm still communicating with some of my old suppliers. I just, our old supplier Peter Watson from Melbourne just sent me up some stock that's sitting on my desk here now. You know, so we still did it end badly. It ended badly. Were there ruptures? There certainly were. But um, were there were there good things that come from it? There's a lot of good people in the industry, and we dealt with a lot of them, and very happy to have experienced that with them. Going through that, that trying time, do you feel that emotionally, personally, professionally, what was your um, outlet or did you have a mentor or what mental health, all of that would have played and, and continues, I imagine, to play a big role in, not, in your survival and in your, you know, enjoyment of life and looking after the twins and, and, and being a, a sole parent, you know, all of those are jobs within themselves. <clears throat> so if, if our listeners are wanting to know what, you know, what help you were able to get, um, would you be able to share that? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I fell through the cracks in the ground. And uh, it was very hard to dust myself off. And I'm still dusting myself off. Um, I learned to meditate. I'm lucky I live in the Blue Mountains um, and always had the access to the great outdoors. And where we have a, a business located now, a little startup, um, is in the bush. And some of the best mountain biking is less than 30 seconds from the door. <laughs> After this today, I'll be out for an hour on a mountain bike, and I do that twice a week. Um, <clears throat> I packed up the girls into our camp trailer, and we hit the road, and we went out into the desert, um, and we had quite a lot of time just travelling, and that just calmed their bodies, calmed their minds, 
and um, it made space for tenderness. And um, you know that that helped that helped me dust myself off and understand the purpose of life and what I'm actually currently doing. So, with this new business that you're that you have that you've started, <laughs> yeah. How how have you the foundation of this business? How have you done it differently than um, the previous businesses that you've set up? From well, oddly enough, everyone would probably know this fellow. Um, I was lucky enough to meet a fellow called Toby who had a small coffee roasting business, a bit of a character. And he's like, Daz, do you want to sell our stuff? I've, I've got some coffee. I've put it in a bag. So I helped him develop this retail range, which, of course, we managed for years. Which um, is now, I mean, Toby's Estate, right? Yeah, it's Toby's Estate, mm, yeah. Little coffee uh, company, yeah. Yeah. So, but it started know, in a garage. It started in his mum's backyard. That's oh. where we met and started doing it together. Yeah, it was a garage. Um, so through that, um, that uh, you know, I travelled extensively with Toby around the world for 20 years. You know, we we're doing stuff. We had a lot of bloody fun, I can tell you, because he, he's a wonderful character. Um, and through that, um, I just learned about coffee, and that was also a passion of mine before all of that started in the home delivery business way back, Illy Coffee had just started coming in. So we were delivering Illy Coffee to people's doors and I was always fascinated with the story of coffee and quality. And then I met Toby um, and then the rest is history. So, uh, again, just being in the right place at the right time and having the opportunity to meet people and maintain relationships and, and clear, honest communication would you say As, Toby's a mentor to you? He's, he certainly was. Mm. Um, he certainly was. Um, and a door opener for, for that education. I mean, all that sort of stuff, we just blew the lid off blew the lid off the market, you know, with the pointy edge of the wedge there in the early 2000s. No one was really doing it. So um, we, we honed a lot of skill. And, you know, that's kind of where it's landed. We've dusted ourselves off. 2020 took care of the business, um, then COVID came in and that's when we started another business. So here we are three years later, global doom and gloom going, how do we grow another small business, you know, while being a single dad, trying to find out, you know, that, that's a busy life, you know, like there's, I, I can't, I can't put in 60 hours a week anymore. I need, I need, I need everyone out there, all you listeners, to come and buy our coffee. <laughs> well, let's just talk about your coffee. The brand is called The Little Coffee Company. Yes, it is. And you are roasting it. You are providing it in beans and ground. You're providing it ground, yeah? Beans, yeah. ground, yep. cold brew in a can. You give the spill. You can do it better than I can, but I love it. And I do enjoy it, just so you know, listeners. The first and third Saturday of the month, if you're in Sydney, go to North Sydney, Northside Produce Market, and you will find Darren and the little coffee company there. And he is, um, yeah, you've got the music cranking. you got the, the, the coffee flowing. Yep, we've got, got all the good people there. So um, that, that was, that's a funny thing. Back to, back to that shower, like someone said, how, how, how. How did you come up with that name? It's like, well, I got out of the shower one day and looked in the mirror and little come to mind. Anyway. <laughs> hmm. 
Hmm. Right. Okay. I don't know if we'll edit that out. Hmm. Should we? Yeah. <laughs> little, little is just uh, exactly what I need it to be. Um, so I can manage. This needs to be a business that provides a way of uh, me being able to be a full-time dad. Um, so I need to get a return. It needs to be little. I don't want a big business. I can't afford time, the heartache and the energy to have a big business. I want a small business. I want uh, to deal in good beans. I want to deal with good equipment. I want to deal with good people, have good accounts and have good training. And that for us is a good business model. You know, it's sustainable. It only needs to be tiny. You don't have to be small to have good quality products. And I think having 20 years, 25 years plus of pouring uh, blood and sweat into a lot of relationships through small channels in Sydney, retailers and that, they've been supportive in taking our new venture on and we're seeing growth in that. Well, let's um, let's talk about that. If you're if you're nurturing this um, controlled growth, another way of building, reinforcing your brand, but also getting you know that innovation piece, which which you love, um, collaborations have been really on the on the money for you. And let's talk about a recent award based yeah. on a collaboration because this is absolutely mind-blowing and i know you say you want to stay little and that totally makes sense but by going from strength to strength and getting these accolades it's going to be a little bit tricky staying in that space maybe yeah well it's funny how it come about because a uh, mate of mine um who's in the um industry of manufacturing drinking chocolates and all that type of stuff um chai's Chai me, Marcus, um, being wonderfully helpful. I'd always say, Marcus, why, why does everyone's cold brew taste like rubbish? And he goes, well, if you, you, you think you're so clever, why don't you stick one in a can? So I, I did. And everyone seems to think that it's the best flavoured one. So I was sitting around drinking this can one day and I thought, what we need to do is make an espresso martini. And I, we're part of the craft beverage trail here in the Blue Mountains. And... Um, we had a trade show day where we all got together up at the Carrington Hotel and um, showed our wares. And through that, um, met a fellow and his wife, Nick and Ali from Karoo Distillery. And so I rang Nick and I said, dude, um, I've got this killer cold brew can recipe. I reckon we should do an espresso martini. And he, 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 he sat, sat bolt upright and he goes, I've been laying here on the couch wondering how the hell do I do that? And I went, well, I know how. So he said, "Yeah, let's go." So we've um, we've we've done a whole bunch of samples of espresso martinis, and we sent them down the production line. And while we we're doing that, he goes, "I've got another idea." I went, "Okay, great." So he said, "Can you brew this up?" And I went, "Yep." He goes, "This is what we've got." So we sat down and we had a whole bunch of cuppings, and I went, "I think I've got the recipe for that." So that is a thing called orsa. Um, and we had it out for five weeks. It's a coffee gin liqueur, which they use with their lightning gin. And um, we thought, this tastes pretty bloody good. So we put it in a show after only having it out for five weeks um, at the South Australian uh, or Australian Liquor Awards held in South Australia. Um, we won best at the show, best in class and best coffee liqueur in Australia. So last night we just... Um, were launched on another gin home delivery platform and they've had the biggest uptake um, of any product 
they've ever had. So I don't know what's going to happen, Tonya, but... Um, Watch the space. Yeah, is awesome, mm, as we say now. Uh, <laughs> well, congratulations, Darren. And um, thank you for being so open and honest and, and sharing your life with us today. Tonya, it's always a pleasure. We love dearly talking with you. You're a wonder. Thank you. And keep up the good work. Straight to the source is exactly what everyone needs. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to, and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.